So in the nightclubs in in, in Liverpool, particularly in the we're talking the late seventies, um, early eighties, I was hearing stories like everybody had a Beatles story. <laughs> You're listening to Something Will Happen, a podcast about the largest Beatles music festival in North America, Abbey Road on the River. It takes place every Memorial Day weekend in Jeffersonville, Indiana. If you're a music fan of any kind, you gotta come. We have up to six stages playing music all day long by almost 50 Beatles and classic rock tribute bands, food trucks and drinks, awesome art installations, merchandise and art vendors, and a playground for kids. Whether you're new to Abbey Road on the River or you're a festival regular, you'll find something you love. This is Something Will Happen. Something Will Happen at Abbey Road on the River. Come join us. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. And today I'm very excited because I am being joined by none other than Alan Porter, who is a Beatles historian, has an amazing podcast and book called Before They Were Beatles. And we're just going to talk about the Beatles of many other things and get to know Alan because he's going to be at the festival this year. So I want to say hi, Alan, and introduce yourself. Hi. Uh, thanks, Melissa. Uh, yeah, I'm Alan J. Porter. I, as you said, the author of Before They Were Beatles, uh, which is now was a, is a book and is now a podcast, um, which seems to have got pretty popular, which I'm um, deeply surprised and honored by. Very exciting. The, yeah. The number of people that are listening to it. Um, and yeah, I am very excited to be joining you at the festival this year. I've wanted to go for several years, schedules have never worked out and everything mm-hmm. just fell into place this year. So really excited to be joining you over the Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, that's, a, we're really excited to have you too, because in the past we've had speakers and uh, the authors do speaking and, you know, come and talk but we haven't had one since covid because we always had those indoors and now we're um gonna do we do everything outside now just to be safe and so we're you know bringing that in again and so it's gonna be great to have you there and just have someone talking about the beatles history um because we're all you know we're all about the music and we would like some you know, it helps to have a little bit of the context of the background and someone adding something different than just the music of things. But, um, and you also are an advisor to the band, the Savage Young Beatles, who are, this is their first year coming to the festival as well. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And that's actually because of the podcast. They sort of found me because of the oh. their manager actually was listening to the podcast and reached out and said, hey, we're putting this, you know, um, new Beatles tribute band together that's focused on the early days, uh, you know, the the Hamburg and Cavern days, would you be interested in helping us out? That sounds like fun. So yeah, I've uh, been working with them over the last uh, few months uh, as they get geared up. So yes, they're making their debut in Liverpool during Eurovision week in the early part of May, and then coming to Abbey Road on the river, that and then they're coming to my hometown of Austin, Texas for a series of I think five gigs in six days for the week after the festival. So it's and end of May, early June is going to be a really interesting time with the band. So <laughs> that's a really busy time. Yeah. Yeah. So they're wait, so they're doing something Eurovision is the first week of May. I think it's the first week of May, or it's around then anyway. But the Eurovision Song Contest in Europe. Yeah. 
this That's year huge, is, right? It's massive. And this year it's actually being held, the finals are being held in Liverpool. Oh my gosh. Okay. So during that week, the band are playing three gigs, I think. And the first one they're doing is actually at the Beatles Story Museum. Great. And then they're doing one at the Jacaranda Club, which if you know your Beatles history is a very important club in the very early days of the Beatles. So they're doing a gig there. And I, then they've got one other venue that the name escapes me, probably because he doesn't have a Beatles connection. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, they're doing three gigs that week while Liverpool is full of people who are there oh. list, li- listening for the Eurovision Song Contest. Okay. So that that is awesome. That's great. Very cool. Yeah. Great way to promote themselves. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool because I I don't know much about Eurovision. I just know it's like huge over there. So that it's in Liverpool and they get to you know be somewhat a, not a part of it, but you know be on the but yeah. But it. certainly, you know, Liverpool is going Big to be deal. full of music fans, yeah. and I'm sure there's going to be a fair proportion of Beatles fans in there, all those visitors who will want to go to the the museum or the clubs or whatever and and see a good Beatles tribute band. So yeah, it's it's a yeah. great way. To, to kick things off before they come over for the festival. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Actually, now that you talked about the Jacaranda Club, can you explain, let's take a side note. Of, can, okay. What is that? What, like, because I've always heard of it and I think I used to know what it is, but can you tell people why it is important in Beatles history? So the Jacaranda Coffee Bar was the coffee bar in, in Liverpool owned by a gentleman called Alan Williams um, and who knew and was friendly with Stuart Sutcliffe. So when Stuart joined, or John invited Stuart to join his band, um, they would hang out at the Jacaranda and they would play. So it would be, you know, Stuart, John, George and Paul. um, And they would hang out and they would play there and they would get paid with a bottle of Coca-Cola and a plate of beans on toast. That was their, their payment. For, for, for the gig um and, it's good payment um, if you're hungry <laughs> yeah um so very it has that association now depending on who you listen to um the artwork on the walls was either done by Stuart and John or by John but depends or but mm-hmm. at least Stuart definitely had something Alan Williams definitely saw it as Stuart's band because he knew Stuart better than the others um mm. interesting and it is supposedly at the Jacaranda where the phone call the phone on the wall was where the uh, call came in about that uh, a promoter that Alan Williams had met who had a club in Germany called Alan Williams and said, I need some bands for my new club in Hamburg. Um, And depending on who, again, the story varies, but um, as to who actually answered the phone, but that's, that's where the, uh, the, the famous call came through that led to the Beatles eventually going to Hamburg oh. with Alan Williams as their manager. So, so the, Jacaranda, awesome. the Jacaranda Club is, is steeped in history. Now, I haven't been there in a while, but last time I was in Liverpool and went by, they actually had the, on the outside, they had a painting of John, Paul, George and Ringo in Sergeant Pepper outfit. And I'm like, well, okay, Ringo, I don't know if Ringo ever played there as when he was with Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, I really did, mm. but you know, he did, as a Beatle, he didn't play there, and right. it was very, really way before the Sergeant Pepper stuff. But you know, right. that's what people recognize. So yeah, uh, right. Yeah, it helps get people yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. And so, how does that? Because we had an episode about um, the Cosmo Club and the Best Family. So how? When in time was was that around the so same this, time so, that they were so playing this is there? Be- uh, they were playing there. Yes, as the Quarrymen, uh, but not with Pete Best. Okay. Uh, 
it was um, when the call came in and they eventually, Alan Williams was like, okay, this is a group I'm going to take to Hamburg. The contract was for a five-piece band with a drummer. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a drummer at that stage. Oh, okay. And Pete's band at the um, Casbah Club had just broken up because one of the guys had gone off to college or something. So Pete was there with no band but a drum kit. The Beatles needed a drummer mm-hmm. who was Im- available immediately. Um, yeah. And that's uh, <laughs> apparently Paul sort of called Pete up and said, do you want to come to Hamburg with us? And he was like, yeah, and that was it. And he was with him for, what, two and a half years after that. So Okay, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, that's uh, I am fascinated with like all the stuff that led to the Beatles becoming the Beatles, which I think is exactly what <laughs> you that's exactly the too. fascination. Yeah, was, <laughs> yes, that's ex- just so, exactly. such tiny things like if Pete's band hadn't broken up, if that kid hadn't gone to college, like or whatever happened, and you know, all the things wouldn't have led to where they got to, you know. That's that's what I always find fascinating. So I'm going to tell you my favorite what if story, because this is what I really love about all the coincidences and things. Yes. The near misses that we never got the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, after John's mother was killed and stuff, he really stopped playing and the band pretty much broke up. The Quarrymen wasn't doing anything. And George actually joined another band. Oh, um, and his girlfriend at the time, a young lady called Ruth Morrison, was friendly with the Best family. So when the Best were, uh, Mona Best decided to start a club in her basement, and literally, they were like getting the club set up and painting it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The, the band that was going to play on the opening night for some reason didn't happen, and they were like, "So what's going to happen?" And this girl, Ruth Morrison, said, "Well, my boyfriend plays in a band." But George had actually fallen out with that band and stopped turning up for rehearsals. So oh. she called George and George is like, well, I know a couple of other guys who, who might be interested. So yeah. George got on his bicycle and rode over to see John and Paul. And they ended up helping set up the Casbah Club. Again, John painted the ceilings. And they were, were then, John, Paul and George were then the opening, as quarrymen were the opening night act at the Casbah Club and became a regular every Sunday at the Casbah Club until they fell out of a payment and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but so basically if George hadn't joined another band and it, his girlfriend hadn't been friends with the bests. Yeah. And that band hadn't quit, the, the band they originally booked hadn't quit, then the Beatles may never have happened. So. That's, yeah, not in the same way they would have. That's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah so. Oh my gosh. That's really cool. You must love like the, do you, uh, well, actually, maybe this is a weird um, question, but to be a little off topic, like what, how do you find the book um, Tune In by Mark Lewis? And like, do you? Can I make a, a confession? I've actually never read it. Oh, it's just okay. sitting on my bookcase over here. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. In my library, just to, just to my right, I have a whole bookcase of nothing but Beatles books, and it is sitting there. Yeah. Um, part of the reason is I don't because re- I wrote the original before they were Beatles book. Oh God, twenty years ago. I only realized this year it was twenty years ago. Oh wow. Um, so I'm actually now starting to do an updated, expanded version uh, based on a lot of the new material that we 
discovered doing the when we were doing the podcast and the fact the podcast story goes beyond where the book is so i want to do an updated expanded 20th anniversary stuff so i just started digging into that um I don't necessarily want to read Marx until I finished it or I'm close to finishing because I don't want his research necessarily to inform my research. If yeah, because then you'll like uh, end up writing the same book. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to take too much out so, there. So, yes, yeah, so nothing against Mark. One of his Beatles chronology is like a go to for me. Uh, I use that all the time. So I love his stuff. But that particular mm-hmm. book, no, I haven't read it yet. Yeah. I probably won't until I finish this rewrite of my book. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I only got through like the early Beatles part anyway. Like it goes, it goes so much into the history, but I think one thing that as you were talking about, like the Beatles, a thing that the Beatles maybe wouldn't have happened. There was something like in his, I don't know if you want to get a spoiler from his book, but just like, I think Paul's girlfriend, um, maybe had like a I think she had like a pregnancy scare and they were like he was like getting ready to like marry her and settle down and then it didn't happen and so then he got to go play with the band or go to Hamburg or something it was like something that was gonna like totally change the route of his life and then it didn't didn't end up happening or whatever didn't happen you know so I was like whoa what if like that did happen you know and we wouldn't have Paul McCartney. <laughs> that, so, that, for me, yeah, that that's was part of the attraction of doing this. There was so many. I was hearing so many of these stories, and it was like, okay, let's try and put them together and actually, you know, t- tell a, a cohesive narrative around those early days, which yeah. was uh, was quite a challenge. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about your book now that we got into all these other yeah. things. Um, can you tell our listeners kind of what? what it is what what is what's all about so the book uh the book is called before they were beatles Uh, as i say i originally wrote it 20 years ago and the catalyst was actually i went to college in liverpool um and while i was at college big music fan you're in liverpool you're in, in the nightclubs um so in the nightclubs in 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 Liverpool, particularly in the we're talking the late seventies, um, early eighties, I was hearing stories like everybody had a Beatles story, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And the number of people who discovered the Beatles, it's like every nightclub you were in, you know, there was somebody at the bar who helped yeah. discover the Beatles. <laughs> um, but the more I dug in, you know, the, the stories contradicted each other, and I'm like, there really must be. You know, uh, it'd be interesting to dig in and find out what that that is. And I didn't really think too much of it, um, sort of put it away at the back of my mind. Um, then I discovered that the college I was at, Ringo had been there for like two weeks as a student. Mm. <laughs> um, so I was like, OK, there's another connection. And then a little later, um, probably in the 80s, we lived in the Forest of Dean, which is a royal forest on the English-Welsh border. And our local little market town was a town called Lydney. And actually, the Beatles played there in 62 before, just as they were getting signed um, and just as they were starting. Um, And it was really one of the first gigs they ever did outside of Liverpool was in this tiny little market town way down southwest of England. Um, And everybody, you know, there was that buzz around town. You know, we're one of the places the Beatles played before they were famous, the day the Beatles came to town. And again, I would hear stories. So that sort of spurred me eventually to like, I think, and then I was on a, a trip to New York and I went to, I, I see the Imagine mosaic on the wall behind you. Um, mm-hmm. I went to Strawberry Fields and I was like, 
okay, I, I've been to this is sort of the end of a journey. I've been to Strawberry Field in Liverpool, and now I'm at Strawberry Fields in New York. This is sort of interesting a, a journey for me. Maybe it's about time to actually sit down and write the, the, their story of how they started. So that's really what provoked me writing, uh, got me writing the book. So um, yeah, it came out um, quite a while ago. It's been a consistent seller um, ever since. Um, and over the years, people are like, oh, can you continue the story until like Ringo joins or can you take it up to sort of them becoming the Beatles? Because originally it stopped, the, the original version of the book stops with them getting in the bus and going to Hamburg. But okay. there were so many great stories around the Hamburg days and then the cabin days and then how did Ringo end up in the band? So with okay. the podcast, that's what we've done. We've expanded the story into, into those years. Oh, um, cool. And as I say, I'm just just starting to work on a, a 20th anniversary updated edition that will bring all that new material in. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's been a great ride. Yeah, that's really exciting. And that's really cool that you are, you know, expanding it with the podcast. And I like podcasting seems like you can do so much with sharing the information even more than what a book can do. That's kind of more interactive in a way it is and part of doing that was because there was so much material i mean the problem with yeah. writing non-fiction books is as soon as you publish it it's out of date um yeah right. or somebody or somebody finds something new um i always mm -hmm. remember so i was very lucky to get to know a few of the quarry men while i was writing the book um and literally the week after i published the book i had an email from them that was like oh that photograph that we thought was taken on this date we now all agree that's wrong. And it was taken on this other day at a different oh. venue. And I was like, ah, <laughs> yeah. okay, books immediately wrong. Um, oh, no. So, so over the years, I've been collecting sort of, you know, new pieces, new nuggets of information. And you say know, so other people have done, like Mark, or other people have done research. A lot of the quarry men have actually published their own books. Or mm -hmm. somebody like Johnny Gentle, who, you know, the Beatles went on tour. Their first ever tour was to Scotland, backing the singer Johnny Gentle. I found a copy of his book, um, so, which has got a lot more information in it. So just mm -hmm. that's sort of where the podcast came about. It's like, oh, I've, I've been collecting all this stuff and people have been asking me about updates. I wonder if there really is still an audience for it. So I thought, well, I'll start the podcast and see if it that will help me measure whether there's an audience for it. And it turns out there's a bigger audience for it than I actually originally anticipated. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It feels like more people are listening to podcasts and reading books these days so <laughs> it's a better way to get more viewer more listeners more readers in a way I think they're very complimentary yes yeah mm -hmm. uh, and it's nice to be able to have, be able to tell the story in different ways that you know as you said some people I mean the number of people reading books has gone up um, book sales are up across the board um, mm -hmm. which is good uh, so yeah. more people are actually getting back to reading, but a lot more people are, uh, you know, are listening to podcasts too. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I find a lot of people who used to like just listen to music on their morning commute, the few of us who still commute now listen mm -hmm. to podcasts. I listen to podcasts when I'm at my morning walk. You know, it's become, uh, as you say, just such a, a great medium, I think, for for telling stories. Uh, and if you've got a book or stuff that goes with it, it's, it's a nice way for the two to complement each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the, like our um, theme song was written by a guy who does the, um, oh, what's his podcast called? He has a, 
it's not it's not on podcasts it's on his website but he does uh Beatles drama where it's like this audio drama where he takes you back and yeah. kind of um does all the voices all these sound effects all the like a tea kettle in the background so you can kind of like imagine you're a fly on the wall in these different situations which is very cool so I think which is different than reading a book or even watching it on a reenactment like you get to kind of visualize it yourself yeah so, so like an it's cool like how said, audio an audio can do drum. that yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That, that's a commitment to do that level of uh, sound ed editing and yeah stuff. no that's that's intense yeah it's called a day in their life it's a, it's an interesting I mean he it's not totally like historic I think it, it 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 is mostly historical but then it's like you know he gets to kind of recreate the audio what would this sound like and what does that you know sound like so it's right it's pretty cool um I'm just saying that because of the the medium of audio you get this different audience and a different right. way to yeah. express the story of the Beatles I was gonna say the other, the other fun thing about doing the podcast is I've learned a whole bunch of new skills that I never uh, <laughs> knew I needed like yeah. <laughs> audio editing and stuff yes it's uh, right yeah. it's yeah. a good challenge you know it takes your and it, it takes your study to a new level too I would assume you know yes it does definitely yeah mm -hmm. yeah it sort, sort of makes you focus on what what's important to get out because I like to keep the podcast down to sort of 20 to 30 minutes you know segments what's mm -hmm. important to get over what kind of story can we tell in that sort of segment of time mm -hmm. uh with with the, with the page and the written word it's easy to sort of just start to waffle on a bit and it, it I mean just doing that the podcast sort of tightens the storytelling up I think yeah yeah true um so back to the Savage Young Beatles, how have you kind of mentored them or given them advice on trying to emulate these early Beatle days? Um, it's really been a lot of stuff around, you know, what time period are we going to cover? So I think the decision mm -hmm. is sort of, you know, it's going to be 61 through 63. Uh, you yeah. know, originally it was like, oh, we were just going to do the rock and roll stuff, but then it may be, well, that may cut out some of the hits that people want to do, but we actually want to, you know, um, John, the manager has been very strong on. I want a band that will, you know, represent the rock and roll and the the punky era, but actually, you know, is something that we can play small, dark clubs, but also something that would play in a seated theater, seated amphitheater type right. stuff as well. So try and get both the audiences. So really trying to find that balance. Um, yeah. Looking at, uh, luckily, Tom, the lead singer, uh, and his father Bill actually have a very deep knowledge of the the rock and roll years um tom's already done some great covers of the uh, um he has a deep knowledge of british r&b and the early days of british rock as well so um really just focusing on that um you know one of the things i literally um, i'm going to do right after we finish recording this is go mm -hmm. start looking through set lists and listening to old recordings and start you know pulling stuff together so you know figuring yeah. out sort of how the show's going to flow and how we can emulate some of those earlier you know things you know, i mean luckily we have yeah. the star club recording uh which gives us some idea but actually also digging back there's some great um published oral histories of them playing at the cavern and what they played and how that you know what set lists oh, yeah. they have and stuff so digging into some of that as well yeah. mm -hmm. oh that's really cool that's gonna be awesome oh i'm excited to see them and you at the festival this year you know so people get to see um Savage Young Beatles as the early Beatles. And then um, we get to see you, Alan, speak about your book. 
and do some Q&A sessions and then people can grab your book while they're at the festival this year. And yes, they will. Yeah. I will link to your podcast in our show notes so that people can listen to that before they come. You Thank know, you. Get Don't in enjoy. on some Beatles history before you come to the festival. And I mean, yeah, you even have had me on your podcast. So we did. Thank you very, <laughs> very much. Exciting. That was great. The episode mm -hmm. that just came out. So, uh, which is actually more about the background behind the Savage Young Beatles and then what it takes to get noticed at, uh, by folks like yourself. So you get booked and get gigs. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, it's that, cool. That was a that was a fun conversation. Thank you for for being on it. So. It was, yeah. That was that's a great podcast. So I'm excited to share it with people. But um, before we go, do you want to share? Um, let's. I was just going to have you share something about the Beatles. That's like your favorite. Like, who's your favorite Beatle? Do you have a favorite Beatles song? Um, okay. Or some um, great story about the Beatles that you love. I, I'm, I'm glad you a you, you couple of questions. I actually don't have a favorite Beatle. It was very interesting writing the book because I felt like I got to know the four mm. of them, well, actually more than the four of them, you know, yeah. Pete and Stuart and all others. All the as fifth well. Beatles too. All, yeah. all the fifth Beatles, which I'll, actually I'll expand on that in a second. Yeah. Um, so I think George sort of edged out ahead because one of my other great passions is motorsports and George was a big Formula One motorsports guy as right. well. And and movies and so shared passions of motorsports and movies as well as you know the music so sort of George I sort of associate with George if that's the right word a bit more after doing all the research um mm. and and stuff like that um yeah. but I wouldn't say I don't necessarily have a favorite I think um yeah. my youngest daughter would kill me because she's a huge Ringo fan um, oh yeah <laughs> he's always that's the good. favorite in our house yes we need more Ringo fans um, like he's he doesn't get enough credit so so you're talking about the fifth Beatles one of the actually mm -hmm. most popular parts of the book at the end of the book I sort of did a whatever happened to you know all these other people who were in and out the band um and I've had a lot of people say that's great I'd really like to know more so actually one of the things on the podcast is when we finish the story I've literally just got to the point where Ringo has joined the band so we're going to mm -hmm. go up to the end of 1962 and that's where we're going to finish the because by that time they were the Beatles. So right. calling it before they were Beatles and going beyond that doesn't really work. Right. Um, but I want to keep the podcast going. So I'm going to take a short break and we're working on a follow-up series, which will be Before They Were Beatles presents The Forgotten Beatles. Uh, and I'm going to do deep dive, as deep a dives as I can into all the other people who were in and out of the band, not just during that period, but but even later on. So you're covering people sure. like Jimmy Nickel and, yeah. you know, who, who uh, Andy White, who played with the band or stuff, but yeah, sure. so that's that's the next project is the Forgotten wow. Beatles. So. That's, I mean, that's very important though. Like, yeah, and they need to be documented. I don't think people know enough about those guys. So, yeah, um, cool. and my favorite Beatles song is actually uh, Hey Bulldog, mm. um, for, for two reasons. One, it's a great RB rock and roller, but two, it's also the first song I scored 100% on Beatles Rock Band. Oh, no. <laughs> that game was so fun <laughs> it was yes unfortunately mine yeah my, uh, my uh, console is is, uh, is broken and I haven't oh. played it in a long time but uh, yeah but yeah so. <laughs> that's awesome well it's a great song that's a good it is an awesome song yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh awesome well I feel like we could talk for hours about everything 
oh, I'm <laughs> sure. history, but um, I'll let you go do your research. And um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, us, me, <laughs> and sharing your knowledge with all our listeners. Alan's going to be at the festival and you'll be able to get or get his book ahead of time and read it. And I need to read it. So I'm really excited. As, to as you say, we, we will have copies on sale at the festival. So. Yes. Yeah. So that's going to be awesome. So we are excited to see you at the festival and can't wait. And we'll see looking you there. Forward to, looking forward to meeting you in person. Yes. Right. Not on, not, not on Zoom. online. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Well, it was great to speak to you and thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Something Will Happen. And remember that Abbey Road on the River is happening May 25th to 29th, 2023. You can find all the details, get your tickets, book your hotels, see all the bands that are coming at AROTR.com. And if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, send us an audio recording of yourself to AROTR18 at gmail.com telling us your favorite memory or show from a festival in the past or what you're most excited about this coming year. Keep the fun going all year long by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and we'll see you in May. Something will happen.